Well, good morning once again. It's my privilege to be bringing God's Word to us this morning. Pastor John and his family are on a family vacation this week, and so we could be praying for them that it'll be a restful and, and a sweet family time, uh, rejuvenated and come back and enter the labor of ministry with, uh, with new, new vigor. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Colossians. So if you've been with us, we've been making our way through this short yet very profound letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And this morning we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. So if you'd like to open up with me to Colossians 2, starting in verse 6, we'll read through verse 15 and hear the word of the Lord. This is God's word to us. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is God's word to us. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as we come to this rich passage in Colossians, that you indeed would speak to our hearts, that we would understand with our minds, that we would hear with our ears the good news of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus. May your spirit be at work in and through us in this time. May you change us, O Lord, and meet us with your amazing grace, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Aldous Huxley's famous novel, Brave New World, the people of London are living in a utopian society. It's called the World State. And in this society, people are engineered genetically for the purposes of fulfilling the various labor needs of the society. But ask anyone, it's a great place to live because the society provides unlimited access to every fleshly pleasure. The people in the world state are willing to do whatever is asked of them because they love their drug-induced vacations and their freedom uh, to enjoy the comforts and pleasures of the state. But is it so wonderful? You see, the characters of the novel quickly find out that they, their existence is really quite dissatisfying. They long for something of real significance. They begin to realize that their freedom that they thought they had was actually enslavement. And their lives had become a meaningless descent into a spectacle 
of death. Perhaps the dystopian novel strikes a little too close to home for comfort, but it does share some common themes with our passage here in Colossians. Last week, if you remember, A.T. taught us about Paul's labor of love to ensure that the Colossians weren't taken captive by fine-sounding arguments. But he encouraged them and us to stand firm in our faith. And so we see this week the faith, the mystery of Christ that Paul's explaining to us. What does this mystery mean? And really, it's the only antidote to the world's deception. The passage that we're looking at this morning explains three realities that help reveal where true significance is found. And these realities will be our three main points. First, death. Second, burial. And third, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. And and unlike Huxley's novel where death was just a spectacle for curious onlookers, the reason that the Apostle Paul focuses on on these, these dark themes of of death and burial, is to encourage us with the reality that Christ alone brings life to the dead. Christ alone brings life to the dead. So our first reality, the reality of death. Everyone dies. It's a cold, hard fact. It's a horrible and a grievous truth. But have you ever stopped to wonder why? Yes, our bodies deteriorate and eventually they they stop functioning. But why? What is the underlying condition that makes death the inevitable, inevitable result for the whole human race, every single person? The Bible's answer to that question is sin. Sin is what brought the reality of death into the good world that God created. The Bible describes sin as turning from God to ourselves and our own devices, as breaking God's holy law. Sin is rebelling against our king and creator and pursuing our own agendas instead of his. And in our passage, sin is referred to in terms of flesh, trespass, and debt. We'll consider these a little bit more in the next section. But what Paul really wants us to know is that sin brings death. Sin brings death. Verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And this death isn't just the physical death that we all face. It's a spiritual death. You see, sin cuts us off from God. It's like our souls have been shriveled up in the dry heat of the summer because we rejected the sustenance that God alone can provide. Why would we willingly choose? Why would anyone willingly choose to do something that brings such devastating consequences? And the answer there is simple as well. Deception. We've been deceived. And that's why Paul is so important on placing the emphasis on making sure the Colossians and the Colossian Christians are 
not enslaved by the empty philosophical claims of the world. He says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces or elementary principles of the world. You see, the world state back in Huxley's novel, it painted the picture of the good life. Right? Live here, it's great, it's wonderful. But it was an illusion. It was the illusion of freedom and happiness. The masses were deceived. They were captivated by hollow and ultimately meaningless pleasures. Friends, we have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap. Deceit can be very subtle. It tells us that we can find real life in our earthly labors, in our families, in our recreations, even in our religious activity. And these things aren't inherently bad. And that's what makes it so tricky. But if they try to take the place of what only Christ truly can, they will not give you life. They will take it away. So what about you? What has taken you captive today? What are the lies that you've been tempted to believe? Do you, do you hear the whisper of condemnation or feel the emptiness of this life? What is it in your life that is leading you away from Christ and bringing you down to death? Be aware. Even religion can take life instead of giving it if your faith is not rooted in Christ. And it's debated what Paul exactly is referring to when he says the elementary principles of this world. And what does that mean? Well, I believe that he's describing the condition of being under the curse of God's law. In Galatians 4, Paul describes the children of Israel as being under the guardianship of the law, and then the Gentiles also being enslaved to their idols. But both of those situations are described as being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So it seems that that slavery is a slavery to the legal requirements of God's law revealed both in scripture and in creation. And that can only lead to death. You see, God's law is holy. It's good. It's our failure to keep it that brings condemnation. And what that means is that because of our sin, even our best attempts to obey God and follow his commands can never measure up. We only find condemnation and death Imagine if you were to try to drive your car on I-15 without wheels. Nothing good's going to come of that. <laughs> and the thing is, we all need to fight against this tendency to try to do what we can't ultimately do. Me too. In my role as a pastor and leader in the church, I, I love what I do. But I also need to remember that this work can never ultimately give me what I need for life. What I truly need. 
But as I learn to find my life in Christ, then what would otherwise be a constant measurement of, am I good enough? Am I, am I doing this well enough? Instead becomes a joy because I'm set free from the elementary principles of the world. And so that freedom leads us to our second reality, burial. Once someone is buried, they generally stay there. But this passage says something interesting about burial, kind of odd. Did you catch it? Verses 11 and 12. In him, that is in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Buried with Christ. Circumcised by Christ. What's going on here? <laughs> Jesus lived a long time ago. Certainly that couldn't have happened. Well, let's think about what circumcision is. Why does this passage bring it up? Well, it was a sign to God's people in the Old Testament. It was his covenant promise to the people of Israel. The infant males that were born into that tribe were born into the covenant community of God's people. And so they had their foreskin cut off as a sign of God's pledge and promise to them. It was a sign that involved blood. Because it was pointing forward to the reality that is now symbolized in baptism. That reality is that Jesus died. You see, Jesus was the one, ultimately, who was cut off from God. He was cut off from the source of all life. And it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. In fact, Jesus was the only perfectly righteous man to ever walk the face of the earth but he was cut off from the land of the living. He was buried in a new tomb, and a great stone sealed the entrance. Believe it or not, there's actually good news here. <laughs> but how can that be? Where is it? How is this good news? The answer is that through faith in Christ, you become united to him. Spiritually united to him who died and was buried. And that means that your old self that was characterized and ruled by sin and death was buried, cut off along with Jesus. This is the circumcision made without hands. See, it's that spiritual cutting off of our sin nature. And so for those of you who have been baptized, know this, God's promise is for you. You've been made a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And so the lies that keep you from the Lord, the sin that separates you from God, and the death that ultimately comes as a result of your rebellion, were all buried in Jesus' tomb. This can be true for you. Because when you put your faith in Christ, you are spiritually united to him. And what that means is that whatever is true of Jesus is also true of you. Since he died and was buried, your old self, the sinful nature that this text refers to as the flesh, is also dead and buried. It had been struck with a death blow. 
That old nature has been cut away from you and buried in the grave. Our union with Christ also means that our attempts to secure life by our own merits or our own worthiness are fruitless. Jesus is our righteousness before God, and His is a perfect righteousness. But the problem, friends, is that that we're grave robbers. We find ourselves digging up the remains of our sinful desires and trying to live as if we could eventually make these dry bones give us life. (laughs) Our sin is buried in the grave, but it still looks for a foothold in our lives. So brothers and sisters in Christ, beware of the lies that come from below. You're no longer enslaved to your sin and to death. You have been set free in Christ. And those of you who are here not yet trusting in Christ, you don't have to remain a captive. Let's hear God together as he calls us to die to our old selves and then find true life in Christ and him alone. Trust in Jesus, friends. He really is enough. You see, the death that Jesus died, he died for us. Verse 14, God canceled the debt of our sin and has taken away our condemnation by nailing it to the cross. That means that all the ways that we have disobeyed God's law, all the ways that we have followed the desires of our flesh, and all the debt that you and I have incurred before God and our offenses against him have been dealt with once and for all in the cross of Jesus Christ. Even when we try to foolishly dig up the dead bones of our sinful nature, the Lord continues to meet us with grace, with forgiveness, and with power to walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is what we hear about in the third reality. Resurrection. Once someone is buried, they normally stay that way. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. And he wasn't just a collection of dry bones. (laughs) He was raised from the dead by the powerful working of God, verse 12, so that we might be raised with him through faith. And also in verse 13, even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Remember, our union with Jesus means that everything that is true of him is also true of us. But how can that be? How can it be when Jesus was raised, he ascended to heaven where he lives forever, never to die again? We experience this reality in part, for now. Just as we experience the burial of our sin nature in part. But one day, we will know the fullness of these realities. You see, the Christian hope is that just as Jesus was raised to incorruptible life, so we too 
will be raised even though we die in this world. Our hope is that we are forgiven, counted righteous, and enlivened by the Spirit of Christ so that we will one day be free from the very presence of sin, actually be made righteous, and joyfully live with God forever. So as we wait for that day, friends, place your hope in God's word. Your guilt, your shame, your sin and death have been conquered by the cross and the perfect life of Christ, the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Death could not hold him down, the eternal Son of God. He was victorious through death for us. In fact, our text even says that the spiritual powers and authorities of evil, the ones who would use our sin and our guilt against us, to enslave us, they, they have been defeated by the triumph of Christ on the cross. It's like when slavery was finally abolished in our country, in this country. The power and authority of the slave owners to keep and have slaves was completely undone, stripped away. The cross of Christ means that our sin and guilt can no longer have the final word over us. But the resurrection of Jesus does, and by that we are set free, even from our greatest foes. Death has been defeated. So what does all this mean for us today? Right now? It means at least this, that in Christ alone, we find true life. We don't need to keep searching for something in the world to give us significance and fullness. We don't need to keep asking the question, am I good enough? Because we're free from our slavery to sin and death. And as Paul encouraged the Colossians, I also encourage you, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in Him. You receive Christ as a gift of God's grace through faith. And if that's how you received Him, so continue to live in Him. Receiving His grace, trusting in His promises that He is for you. He is with you on your best days and your worst days. Trust Him with your work, with your parenting, with your entertainment, with your religion. And as you do, you'll find yourself rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith, as you walk with the living Lord, finding your true life in Him. And so, to conclude... It's only natural, if all this is true of us, that we should, as Paul says, overflow with thanksgiving. Because Christ alone gives life to the dead. We who deserve to be condemned, cut off from God, 
are given new life, forgiveness through the free grace of God. What a reason to praise the Lord who loves even the worst of sinners. And those who are free from sin and death are now free to live a life of gratitude because Jesus has given us a whole new life by his resurrection from the dead. And friends, he will surely bring us into the fullness of that resurrection life when he brings us home forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, teach us to be a thankful people and to be aware of the lies that we tend to believe about you and about ourselves. Lord, may we run to Jesus once again and know that you love and you receive us not because of our worthiness, but because of his. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you give life to the dead, and we ask that you would enliven us, even this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is a pretty honest book about sin. Um, talks a lot about it. Not to make us feel bad, but to show us that we have a desperate condition that God alone can heal. And so, as part of our service each Sunday, we confess our sins, acknowledging what God already knows about us. But in that, we also acknowledge our need. We strip ourselves of hypocrisy and come to the Lord of boundless grace. And so, let's join our voices aloud as we pray this prayer of confession, and then after we do, I'll give us uh, a time for silent confession where we can make those sins known to the Lord as he brings them to our hearts and minds. So let's join our voices uh, together praying this prayer of confession aloud. And it's also uh, written in your bulletin. I think it's coming up here soon. Let's pray. God of all grace, we are weak and forgetful people, easily distracted by the joys and sorrows of our lives. We are capable of great thoughts concerning you one moment, yet we forget your kindness and live as though we had no hope the next. Forgive us, Father, for the unbelief that clings to our sinful flesh and clouds our minds with doubt and fear. Jesus, thank you for clinging to us, even though we let go of you repeatedly. You held fast to your saving mission in your living, dying, and rising again, always obeying your Father and setting your face toward the hill of sacrifice. You endured mocking, beatings, and crucifixion for the joy set before you. Thank you that we are that joy. Now fill us with your joy and cause us to find our great delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And hear our confession now, O Lord. 